Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 24th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, we're down a couple men here today. Uh, as you know, Ben is off traveling uh, internationally, and Jacob is covering Fantastic Fest for us on the site. You can read his uh, daily blogs on SlashFilm.com, but we'll have to make do without them. And uh, we'll catch up with Jacob at a later point to go over all the best films he saw at Fantastic Fest so that uh, we can have those on our radar uh, going forward for the, the you know the rest of the year, uh, but let's uh, let's talk about what we've been up to. I will start things off because uh, last week um, I talked about Universal's Halloween Horror Nights, their their yearly Halloween event where they have like these uh, haunted mazes. Uh, I like to go to a, a bunch of these kind of events. Uh, another big popular one in Southern California is at Knott's Berry Farm, and it's called Knott's Scary Farm. And uh, they do it throughout uh, the second half of September leading into uh, October through uh, Halloween. 
And uh, I think I talked on the podcast about how one of the disadvantages or one of the biggest advantages and disadvantages of Halloween Horror Nights is most of their mazes rely on uh, IP. So big franchises that we know and love, which get us excited to go and experience these haunted houses based on, you know, properties like Stranger Things and Halloween and stuff like that. Uh, but on the other side of things, having these IPs, you're kind of walking through the story that you've seen in the movie and you kind of know where the scarers are coming from. Like, you know, at some point in Poltergeist, you know, there's trees going to come through a window. Uh, so so it kind of takes uh, the element of creativity out of uh, a little less. Uh, I think the, the people that make these mazes have a little less creative um, realm to to make the scares and stuff and uh, Knott's Berry Farm or not Scary Farm the people there like all the mazes there at least this year were, are completely original so they're not based on any pre-existing IP and basically they're able to just make up you know uh, horrific uh, you know stories and places for us to enter um, I'm going to have a whole piece on the site about uh, this and comparing it to Universal Horror Nights. Uh, but I will say that surprisingly, this is my second year going to this event. I like it more. It's uh, more affordable. Uh, the the scare actors that scare you in the scare zones are more interactive and talkative and uh, are, are more scary. The mazes are more creative. They... Um, they do more interesting things. They're able to, I think, experiment more than I think Universal is. Uh, like they have uh, – Universal is mostly has these things in the industry. They call them boo holes and they're basically where people you know, jump out of like a hole or a door in the wall to scare you. And uh, Knott's doesn't do as many boo holes. What they usually have is have these characters dressed in like you know makeup and masks and stuff like that in the actual rooms with you and they're a lot more interactive. They have uh, been doing some interesting things with bungees. So like there's a person on like a bungee cord that is able to jump from like say like you know 15 feet away and then jump right in front of you. So it's a very scary, <laughs> fast kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. They, they they do some interesting effects. They have, a, like, some interesting animatronics and puppets. Like, in one, this one maze, there was this gigantic uh, shark that was trying to eat people, um, which was pretty cool. And uh, they also have things called show scenes. Like, they have this uh, maze called, uh, I think, Paranormal something. And uh, the opening of that is you go into this room, and it's kind of like this... Uh, you're on one of those reality shows, like where they're ghost hunters kind of thing, and then uh, you kind of have a host, and then you know shit goes down. Like it, it, some interesting stuff happens. So, anyways, uh, you know, I'm gonna have a whole piece on the site about this, but I I really thoroughly enjoy Not Scary Farm. I think for your money, you get a lot more uh, than you get out of Halloween Horror Nights, and it's uh, it's just just a blast it's a it's a fun time and and if you get the express pass you can just keep on going like back and forth back to the the mazes over and over again something you can't do a holy and horror nights you can only go once i will say uh not to stretch this out longer than it should be but uh my favorite two mazes is one called the depths which takes place in this abandoned mine where a bunch of uh miners kind of disappeared and it ends up going into like uh ends up going into the, the into the depths of the ocean with uh shark men it's it's 
it's fucking awesome. It's a, uh, it's so cool, so much fun. Uh, the the other one I love is a one that came back from last year. It's called Infected, and it's you in the zombie apocalypse. You are armed with a laser gun, and you're basically sent in in groups through like this, uh, you know, city like area where there's like downed helicopters and cars on fire, and there's zombies coming out to you know you know eat you but you have to shoot them with the laser gun and at the end of the at the end of the experience you kind of get to see how many zombies you have killed and how many have like you know actually eaten you if they come within proximity then you get a bite um and i i think that's my favorite thing uh ever like it just you you feel like you're in like a first person uh video uh first person shooter video game it's it's so thrilling and exciting um the other thing I've been up to is I got the I got the new Apple devices last week. I think uh, we were recording on Friday while I was waiting for them, and I, I got the iPhone XS Max, which is like the worst name ever for a phone. I think, um, and uh, I had the iPhone X, so it is kind of just going to a bigger screen. I'm already loving it. I went to Disneyland over the weekend and was, you know, taking tons of photos because the the camera is kind of improved. They they did this uh, thing where you can actually uh, play with the depth of field, the bokeh. So um, I, I was taking lots of photos, and the, the the camera on this guy is is just insane. Like I. I I know it doesn't do well in low light. Still, like I don't think any phone does well in low light but the, the camera on this is approaching dslr quality in my mind and it's, it's just incredible I, I i also got the apple watch um i had the original apple watch i think four generations ago so like three or four years ago uh this is my first upgrade so i gave catch my old apple watch and I, I got the new one and uh i spent uh, the weekend also searching for fun complications and apps to use for it so for those of you who don't know uh complication on a watch not just an apple watch is like the little uh mini sections that like have like you know world times and other stuff on there the the new apple watch allows you to add more complications so i've been trying to find like cool applications to to take up these areas and i i thought i would quickly share with you what i found just in case anybody else has an apple watch and is looking for some cool stuff um i found this uh app called Waterminder, which is cool and it basically tells you how how much water you need to have for the rest of the day so every time i have a glass of water i press i just press the button and it like adds you know the eight ounce glass to that counter so i can keep track of uh, how much water i need to have there um there is another app called streaks which kind of keeps track of it's like a to-do list but it's gamified so i have things on it like the take my uh pills in the morning brush teeth uh walk the dog in the afternoon practice magic um uh stuff like that so basically it it allows you to kind of gamify that and and you want to keep the streak going of doing those things every day and it's done kind of a, a cool gamified reminder kind of thing on your phone and uh there's also another app that it's called ETA, which is cool, which I think you can also get for your iPhone, which you program in a bunch of locations that you regularly go to. So you like your house where you work uh, for me, the Magic Castle, uh, the movie theater and uh, Disneyland. And when you pull up the app instantly, it tells you with traffic 
how long it takes to get to any of those locations from where you currently are, which is pretty cool. And it's pretty cool to access that on my on my wrist. But uh, I am enjoying both of those. If uh, if anybody out there has any cool recommendations for Apple Watch apps or complications, uh, please send them to me at peter at slash dot com. And uh, maybe I'll mention them on the air later next week. But uh, that is what I've been up to. HD, what have you been up to? So I had kind of a uh, chill weekend. I hung out with a few friends and we went to a relatively new DC bar, uh, like a retro arcade game bar, which kind of looks like Ready Player One threw up all over it. And it sounds like I say that <laughs> Wait, kind of aggressively. Like, yeah, is that good or bad? <laughs> it's actually It was actually in a good way because the bar was really cool. It was kind of 80s nostalgia embodied. Um, and ironically, it's a bar called Players Club. It's in uh, Logan Circle in DC. If you are in the area, know where that is. Um, and it's relatively new. It opened in February of this year. And it is designed sort of like uh, your mom's basement from the 70s. So it's a basement bar and it has like all this wood paneling and this kind of, you know, the ugly floral sort of wallpaper that you've seen everywhere, as well as a lot of the kind of mustard colored and earthy toned uh, uh, furniture from that era as well. It's kind of, it's more, a little more 70s design than 80s, but the um, apply, everything inside the, the bar itself was a little more 80s. There was a bunch of arcade games such as, you know, Tetris, uh, Off-Road, and even a Guardians of the Galaxy arcade game, which I thought was hilarious. Um, so yeah, it was cool. It was like... Wait, there's actually a Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy arcade game? Yeah, well, apparently, according to the to this bar there was one i didn't play it but I, it was probably oh. like um a pinball machine or something okay Don't, that makes yeah. more sense so yeah that makes sense um but yeah there's uh billiards and everything they played uh, a lot of 80s music but it was kind of limited in their selection there was a jukebox which was cool but i could tell that after being there for a while they basically played the same um selection like same playlist on repeat because it was a pretty basic uh madonna journey aha type of playlist they could improve on that a little bit uh but it was very cool very very um uh nice and well designed and that i want i think in the beginning at the entrance there's papered uh on the wall a bunch of posters of 80s musicians and bruce lee a star wars poster which of course we sat right not right under um and a lot of board games too so i was really boring and play just the board games uh and, and connect four to be exact but yeah it's a really cool bar and i i was glad to discover it yeah and i i don't think you posted any photos of this on your instagram but you had some on your instagram stories so if uh, people out there are following us on Instagram and Instagram stories, you, you could have saw, got a glimpse of uh, the Players Club. Yeah. Please check it out. <laughs> yeah. My Instagram's uh, the same as my Twitter. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on to what we've been reading. The only person here this week that has been doing any reading is Chris. And uh, Chris, you've been reading a, a new book about uh, the history of Hollywood. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, I'm reading, uh, it's called Seduction, Sex, Lies, and Stardom in Howard Hughes' Hollywood by uh, Karina Longworth, who, if you don't know, she hosts uh, the very popular film podcast, You Must Remember This. Um, this book is now, I think it comes out in November, I got an advanced copy of it, and I basically spent all weekend uh, reading it, and it, it's really good. It's, it, it's, you know, it's the story of Howard Hughes 
who, uh, if you don't know who that is, he was a famous aviator and millionaire and filmmaker. And his, his story was chronicled in Martin Scorsese's uh, The Aviator and also Warren Beatty's Rules Don't Apply, which no one saw. But um, <laughs> uh, this this is like his story, but told from the point of view of the, the many uh, actresses he basically wooed throughout his, his uh, time in Hollywood. And it's it's just a fascinating glimpse into, you know, the Hollywood of, of old, you know, in the, in the 20s and the 30s. And it, it's great. It, it makes a really cool companion to The Aviator, actually, because a lot of the stuff that's in The Aviator is actually in this book. But it's you know, it's a lot more fleshed out than it is in that film. So, uh, yeah, this isn't out till November, but I, I highly recommend it. It's very good. Karina Longworth um, knows her stuff, which I'm sure everyone knows by now. <laughs> Does this have any crossover with their podcast? Like, have any of these stories been told on there? Do you know? I don't. I don't think so. I have to admit, I, I'm not as like up to date on her podcast as everyone else, so it's possible. But I think this is a separate thing. Yeah, well, very cool. You can check that out in your local bookstore. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, last month, I went to Warner Brothers in Burbank and visited the editing room of Aquaman. I think I alluded to it at one point last month on the podcast, but I wasn't allowed to say anything because I signed uh, an embargo. Uh, and uh, today on the site, we were finally able to write about it. I saw 20 minutes of footage from the movie. We got to talk to James Wan, the director. And um, you, can, you can read about the, the whole thing. You can read uh, what I saw and what I thought on the site. I'll link it in the show notes. But my, my brief overview is coming off of Comic-Con, I was – really not excited for Aquaman so uh, even though I, I'm a big James Wan fan and after seeing this footage I was very impressed uh, first of all there's one scene uh, early in the movie first like 10 minutes that has Nicole Kidman kicking ass in a one shot and like he actually told us like they filmed it like took 30 takes and they do it with like the spider cam rig and it goes all around this house and it's one of the most impressive action scenes I've seen in a while, and it's so such a James Wan kind of shot. Um, it, it's, it's so exciting. Uh, there's uh, moments that I saw of them, like, it seems like James Wan knows that Aquaman's kind of like the mocked character, and he kind of has fun with this, and... Uh, gets silly like there's this big arena fight battle and uh the jellyfish are uh lighting the arena and there's like an an octopus banging the battle drums <laughs> and it's like i don't know it's like what's going on here uh so it's it, kind of bananas in that way and that we we also saw some scenes that were kind of reminiscent of like kind of like an action adventure tale like national treasure um I will say this, the tone was kind of all over the place. The chemistry between uh, Jason Momoa and Amber Heard uh, was almost non-existent. And, uh, you know, I'm still still uh, not sure that this is going to be great. But uh, I will say this, I am much more excited to see this movie after seeing this footage and uh, hearing what he had to say about things. It was actually interesting because... Um, he said right before he started making this movie, he was doing a lot of press and uh, he, you know, was saying how he was trying to make a fun movie and everybody, all of us, all of us cynical assholes 
writing about movies were saying that he was just saying that because it was like you know counterbalance to all the you know the just uh, the uh Zack Snyderness of the DCEU but uh it seems to me like he's actually that that was his approach he wanted to make a fun movie um so we'll see what that is when it hits theaters later this year um I also over the weekend I went and saw this documentary called Always Amazing. Uh, it is the story of Amazing Jonathan, who is this comedy magician. Uh, usually, uh, and I think I've said this on the past uh, on the podcast, but usually, uh, if you are a comedy magician, most comedy magicians are bad. They're either uh, Good magicians, bad comics, or good comics, bad magicians, or just bad both. Uh, Amazing Jonathan is someone I saw as a little kid. Uh, he had specials in Comedy Central. He was hilarious. Uh, a few years back, he learned that he had only a year to live. And, uh, you know, he's diagnosed with uh, some some pretty bad stuff. Uh, he kind of uh, retired and uh, he's outlived the doctor's um, expectations for him. This documentary, though, is and it's made by um, this comedian named Steve Brine. Uh, he was not a filmmaker, and the film kind of shows that it's not a filmmaker. It's mostly uh, talking heads and uh, vintage video from like specials and stuff like that. It's not a lot of original footage, and uh, I think that uh, kind of. Uh, is kind of lacking in that way and also um the bio instead of being a biopic it kind of focuses on this relationship jonathan had with his tour manager which uh was just this kid that started coming to his his shows and when he was a teenager uh, uh, he basically hired him to be his tour manager it's kind of their relationship which is kind of sweet uh this documentary made me uh, laugh a lot made me cry uh I, I wouldn't say it's great though uh you know i am the target audience for something like this it's a, i love magic and uh but uh this was also sh- shown at this um festival called los angeles liftoff film festival and i think they have these liftoff film festivals nationwide and what they are is the attending audiences are given uh feedback forms that they fill out after the screening and basically give feedback to the filmmakers so these fil- films are not finished uh and the, the filmmakers are able to then uh take that feedback and actually you know make their film theoretically better um so i i hope this movie does improve some bit uh, i i did i did laugh i did cry so i do think it's worth recommending uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it w- wasn't, uh, you know, it was no, uh, what's the Mr. Rogers documentary that came out this year? Won't, Won't you be, be my, my neighbor? neighbor? Yeah. Ah, kinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, uh, I finished season two of The Sinner, which I talked about, I think, last week or the week before on here. And I highly recommend, I know people didn't love season one of The Sinner. So if you just want to skip season one, season two is its own isolated uh, case, uh, mystery. If you if you like those kind of um, uh, true uh, crime kind of things, not that this is based on a true case, I, I would highly recommend this. It, it, it's just so good the acting so good the writing so good um carrie coon so good I, I don't know i just highly recommend it so if you can it's on usa network if you have usa network you can probably get it on usa network on demand that is called the sinner chris what have you been watching 
Uh, I started watching uh, the Netflix series Maniac with Jonah Hill and Emma Stone, and I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really enjoying it. It's very strange. It's very uh, well-made. I mean, it, it's it's kind of like Total Recall meets Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, if you can picture that. So I don't know. I'm really... You know, I'd heard good things about it, but it's actually even like better than I thought it was going to be. And I'm, I'm very, um, very curious to see where it goes. And one of the things I really love about it is the episodes are like different lengths, like unlike other Netflix shows where they're all basically the same length. This show, it'll be like one episode, will be like 46 minutes. One episode will be 20 minutes. And I wish like more Netflix shows would realize they could get away with that because they're not traditional TV. They can really do whatever they want. And I like that this show does that instead of just like cramming everything into, you know, a certain number of episodes under, under a certain amount of time. So that's kind of cool. Uh, another show I, I watched. I, will, I do want to add that I, I wrote an article about this same thing of the varying uh, time lengths of episodes of TV shows and how I, I think we're moving in that direction. I will link it in the show notes. Cool. Um, and the other thing I watch is another Netflix show. Um, I'm going to have a review of this for the site up tomorrow because that's when the, the embargo is technically up. But I'm going to tell you about it anyway today because I'm a rebel. Um, it is... Netflix's new take on The Haunting of Hill House, which is directed by Mike Flanagan, who made Oculus and Gerald's Game and a bunch of other really cool horror movies. And this is really good. Uh, it's almost nothing like the the novel by Shirley Jackson, which I think is going to throw some people off because it's, it's a very, very loose adaptation. But it's it's incredible. It's like emotional and creepy. And it, it's it's not your typical uh, haunted house slash horror show so i I think this is going to catch people off guard and be a a pleasant surprise for a lot of people that starts streaming october 12th and again my review will be up on slash home.com tomorrow and that's the haunting of hill house brad what have you been watching i've seen a few things lately um since fantastic fest is going on right now there's uh screeners of certain movies um, that I've been able to get access to. And so over the weekend, I took the time uh, to watch One Cut of the Dead, uh, which is a Japanese film that is a zombie movie. Um, and it what unfolds is there's a crew making a zombie movie, and then zombies actually attack the crew. That and, is an incredible concept. <laughs> well, it's it's actually... Even more incredible than that, but I honestly cannot get into it without giving away a very cool reveal and a very cool spoiler um, after the first half hour. Because what's cool about it is the zombie film in question unfolds in a one single take, which is insanely impressive. Uh, It's definitely low budget, so it's not anything... You know, um, wait, with, you're, with, you're saying the zombie film they're making takes place in one take or the one that you watched was the one that you the one the, the zombie film that you watch takes place in one take and it unfolds wow. over the first 30 minutes of this movie. What happens after that? I don't want to say. And because it seeing what happens is extremely interesting because it's lower budget. It's it's not always as captivating and it's it, it's a bit of a challenge to watch the entire thing fold out, but what's in, but the things that might bug you about that first half hour and why it's so 
sometimes so generic and that kind of thing pays off in what happens in the hour that follows it. And I know I'm being super vague, and but hopefully it's piquing your curiosity and you go out of your way to see it because what this movie does is extremely interesting and really it's 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 really funny it's really cool and it makes you want to go back and rewatch like kind of rewatch that you know first half hour to see how how it all comes into play but it's uh it's very funny it's very very cool i would i would almost like to see it remade in the hands of somebody like taika ytt or christopher guest or something like that um because oh, so it's more of a comedy it yeah Yes, it's, that's, 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 that's what it becomes, and that's that's all I'll say. Um, and the filmmakers I mentioned, you know, might, might give you some idea as well. But it is, it was very fun to watch. Um, and like J- Jacob recommended it to me, and it's um, he he had said that he's like this. It's very much in the spirit of the festival, and uh, it's definitely got some shortcomings. And like it took me a while to like really get on board with it. But once you know the it, the turn comes in and you see what what this movie is actually doing, then it it's. Uh, it's pretty easy to to get you know caught up in it. Well, very cool. Uh, did, you, did you see any other screenings? I also watched Cam, uh, which is a new Bloomhouse thriller that is set in the world of uh, sexy cam girls, like um, the you know, sex workers who you know uh, are on camera and do various you know sexual activities over the internet. Um, and it's a story about how this one cam girl who she's trying to get in like the top 50 and become one of the more popular ones. Suddenly there's an imposter pretending to be her online. It looks exactly like her and is doing shows and is basically taking away her, uh, life essentially, at least online. Uh, and she's trying to figure out what's going on and she kind of like starts going crazy about it. And, um, it's, it's entertaining, enough and it's interesting because you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on but for me the reasoning behind why and how this is happening wasn't quite so satisfying but i appreciate the commentary and metaphor provided by this this kind of thriller uh about social media and the way we present ourselves online and and all that kind of thing um so it's i i I didn't dislike it but i feel like it's kind of missing something that would have brought it together as a whole for me but i, but I still enjoyed it for the most part in, in both of these films i assume don't have a major distributor yet not as far as i know i didn't um look up yet i don't think one cut of the dead has a u.s release date yet um and cam since the Bloomhouse movie i'm sure it has oh yeah some... Blumhouse, yeah yeah um i'm sure that it has some kind of release coming coming up at some point here um so yeah and then i also uh, caught or I watched two different movies. Um, one I rented and one, uh, actually both I rented. I watched I Feel Pretty, the Amy Schumer uh, comedy, which was fine. Um, I feel like Schumer was kind of restrained since this was a PG-13 movie and didn't really allow her to be as edgy to make it as funny as it could have been. It's it definitely has some aspirations of being kind of like a Devil's Wear Pro- Devil Wears Prada kind of movie, but I feel like the message kind of gets lost in how the uh, premise of the movie is executed um, because she starts seeing herself as beautiful and it gives her this whole confidence. But uh, the only reason she's confident is because in her mind, she sees herself as beautiful rather than actually consciously acknowledging that she is beautiful already. 
And I feel like it just creates some inconsistencies with what the message of the movie is trying to put forth. But it's it still has a pretty good, you know, um, you know moral backbone on it of, as far as trying to you know, give confidence uh, to, to girls who might not be, you know, super uh, proud of who they are and how they look and that kind of thing. Um, and then, <clears throat> like I said, the tra- trailer for that movie killed whenever I saw it come on in theaters. And it was a movie I was actually interested in seeing, but I just heard so many bad things about it that uh, I was like, yeah, okay. It's, it's far from terrible. Michelle Williams is actually kind of funny in it because uh, she puts on this this voice um, and it, it makes her sound like it's, it's like a little squeakier voice. And so like, she kind of sounds like this, you know, ditzy fashion magazine runner and that kind of thing but it's yeah it, it just feels like it's kind of on the cusp of being uh better than it could have been or better than it was rather um and then i also watched uh this uh british coming of age movie from like 10 years ago uh um, because my girlfriend had seen it and she said that she loved it and that we should watch it and so it's called uh angus thongs and perfect snogging and apparently it's based on a series of books um which i was unfamiliar with but it is like uh, you just your it's your average coming of age movie. It focuses the, on this uh, teenage girl who's a little bit awkward and trying to figure out, you know, the best way to approach boys. It has a young Aaron Taylor Johnson in it, uh, which was very funny to me because he's a little has a little bit of a, a higher voice and he looks very young. Um, but it's it's very charming and because it's British, you usually don't see this kind of edge um, when it comes to like certain like teenage sexual proclivities in a movie that is about younger teenagers without being like an r-rated comedy or something like that and this is very much like family friendly um but it definitely digs a little bit into the edgier side that american teenage coming of age comedies uh don't usually dig into in that way which i thought was kind of interesting um but it was very it's very charming um it's it's a a nickelodeon movie but again because it's british it's, it's more edgy but i i enjoyed it it was it was it was fun to watch i wish that the american um movies had more coming of age f- films like this for teenage girls because there aren't really a lot of them most of them focus on young boys you know like there, there's, there's been mean girls in recent years uh and there's been a few here and there but i feel like there needs to be more of those for uh for young teenage girls to see Okay, what have you been watching this past week? So I have been eagerly following the festival circuit like all of you readers at Slash Film. And uh, one of the films that has been getting a lot of acclaim at festivals like Cannes is Hirokazu Koreeda's um, Shoplifters. And so he has been getting a lot of um, buzz for his newest film. And there was also that recent news story of his uh one of his major collaborators, Kieran Kiki, who passed away just last week. And so I wanted to, uh, I was curious about his works. I'd only had seen uh, one of his early films, which was Nobody Knows, uh, based off of the real life story of a group of children, uh, siblings who are abandoned by their mother and are forced to sort of survive in their apartment on their own. And I wanted to see one of his more recent films that stars Kieran Kiki. And uh, I watched After the Storm, which is available on Amazon Prime. And it's this really lovely, um, quiet film about a sort of a private detective who is a former renowned novelist and is uh, kind of in arrested development, so to speak. He is divorced and struggling with trying to reconcile with his uh, young son while, you know, dealing with this gambling habit and being unable to really act 
act as an adult. And it's played by Hiroshi Abe, who is an actor that I really enjoyed, actually, when I was um, into Japanese dramas for a while. He was in several dramas. I'd never seen him uh, play a sort of deadbeat dad in this sense. It was a really complex and flawed character who you see, you know, he has this gambling addiction. He steals money from his uh, his mom's altar. Uh, his mom is played by Kieran Kiki. But he gives such a nuanced, delicate performance. And Kieran Kiki does as well as the matriarch of this movie. Um, it's, it's very slow burning. Not much happens. Uh, the storm that takes place is kind of this... Um, emotional climax where uh, his the father and his son kind of ride out the storm and uh, talk for most of it. But it's a really lovely film, and uh, I'm really excited to see uh, what Hiro- Hirokazu Koreeda has to offer with um, with Shoplifters, which is Kieran Kiki's last film as well. Yeah. Um, where, where did you watch this? Where can people see it? It's on Amazon Prime. Cool. Uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, yesterday, while I went to Disneyland, I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I uh, it was my final day of eating carbs. So starting today, I am uh, now back on the keto diet, uh, which I won't talk too long about. But I did want to say uh, yesterday, I did uh, I did have some pumpkin cider, which is delicious, some pumpkin beignets. I, I am basic. I'm going for all the pumpkin. And uh, I, I had a... Uh, bacon and cheddar soup in a bread bowl. Had a lot of great stuff. Uh, I I, I think I did my last day of carbs uh, pretty well because, uh, as I said today, I um, can only consume 20 carbs in a day, which I think is like the equivalent of like a piece of bread, maybe. So it's very little. Uh, It's high fat, low carbs, uh, medium protein diet. And uh, it's how I lost uh, 45 pounds uh, last year. So I'm hoping to lose some some of the some of the weight that I gained uh, since that diet uh, off. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll be keep keeping you updated uh, throughout the water uh, cooler episodes of how that is, struggle is going, because I know a lot of people have been asking me on Twitter about it. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I've been eating. Uh, let's move on to what we've been playing. Bread. Uh, you've been talking about this Jurassic World Alive game. I hear it's been updated? Yeah, so there was a, a slight update again recently because a lot of fans had been asking for some of the uh, flying dinosaurs to be added to the game. There weren't any when the game first launched, and that disappointed uh, some players, but they just added a whole roster of them. So there was a whole new group of dinosaurs to go out and catch, and uh, that also includes a couple new hybrids that they had added. Um, the up, more up, other updates recently have included the what are called strike events that allow you to like go and do these um, battles against AI dinosaurs to get you know uh, incubators to add more DNA to your dinosaurs to be able to evolve them and uh, get new ones and things like that. Um, and they added like a tournament uh, for the battles now, so there's a little bit of competition to it as opposed to just getting stuff for your own uh, dinosaur um, library, I guess you could say. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been cool seeing those dinosaurs out, out and about and uh, catching them. And yeah, that's pretty much uh, pretty much yeah. on that front. 
Um, I want to use this uh, opportunity of the in our what we've been playing segment to recommend a podcast I listen to on a regular basis. Um, I know uh, Chris and I have both talked about Better Call Saul in the past on this podcast, and uh, we, I think we both have said that we like it better than Breaking Bad. Uh, a sentiment that has uh, been also said by Guillermo del Toro over the weekend. Um, so, uh, but um, a podcast I listen to every week is Better Call. Hall- Better Call Saul has an official podcast, which is uh, pretty good. It's um, it's not uh, the best produced show. Like I think the person who hosts it is like one of the editors of the show. So it's kind of like the people who you know. It's usually the, the you know Vince Gilligan and the other producers and the writers and maybe a, one of the cast members gathering in a room to talk uh, for, you know, probably like an hour and a half about that week's episode. So it's, it's kind of like a bunch of friends in a room rather than like a hosted, you know, don't expect like a Chris Hardwick after show, which I think is not something I would want to listen to anyways. Uh, but this, this show is – if you – are very interested in the making of movies and TV shows. This gives you kind of very specific um, stories of how the things come about. Like uh, last week on Better Call Saul, the uh, not going to spoil anything, but the opening uh, scene or is this montage, which is the split screen montage, and they spent a half an hour on this podcast talking about how uh, they scripted that. Like, how do you script a split-screen thing? Uh, How they got the rights to the cover song that was used in it to how you shoot. uh, You know, some things on one side are supposed to mirror what's happening on the other. So how do you, you know, storyboard that? How do you film it? Uh, You know, they had the director on there talking about uh, the challenges of all that. And, uh, you know, and that was just like the first half hour of this podcast um like, like i said it's not the the best produced thing in the world sometimes it, it kind of like is a little bit uh what do you call that when people are part of a a thing and they just keep on like saying how everybody's great is that glad nepotism no no okay. nepotism is okay. what <laughs> Uh, well, anyways, there's a lot of that of like them talking about everybody involved in the show is great and i know that they're you know it's it's sincere but it's a little much but uh if you are a fan of filmmaking and how how things come about i highly recommend uh and if you're watching better call saul (laughs) i would highly recommend the better call saul podcast uh i listen to it every week uh but that brings us to the end of today's slash home daily i will link uh the stuff i talked about in the show notes so if you want to check out that aquaman Aquaman editing bay piece or that piece on uh, Netflix running times. I will have those in the other articles mentioned in the show notes. I should probably ask you, Brad, where can people find more of your work online? You can always find me at slashfilm.com. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and listen to my podcast. Go flick yourself on iTunes and some other podcasting platforms. HD, where can people find more of your work online? I'm also every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at SeaEvangelista413. Have, have you ever listened to the Better Call Saul podcast, Chris? No, I have not. Okay. I, I highly recommend you check it out. I, I will check it out now. Yeah. Well, uh, this brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, you can uh, find Slash Home Daily, this podcast, on 
iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to peter at slashom.com. And please go give us a good review on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. And of course, uh, if Jacob was here, he'd read from his book of, of insult jokes. I don't have that book, guys, so I just want to say you're wonderful and keep on doing what you're doing. I, I, I got an insult for you, Peter. Okay. <laughs> I tried to end it on a positive say, I was going to say, all thanks, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give it to me, Brad. <laughs> if, if laughter is the best medicine... Your face must be curing the world. (laughs) I want Jacob back. What a joker. (laughs) All I did was type insults into Google.